Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. to another episode of Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Well, guys, we're back, and we have a wonderful guest with us today. Today, our guest, her name is Epiphany Jordan. I love the name Epiphany. Totally Thank love you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So who is Epiphany Jordan? Well, Epiphany Jordan, MPH, CPH, is on a mission to rebrand Human Touch. Prior to the pandemic, she ran the Austin, Texas-based hands-on touch business Karuna Sessions, a ritual of human connection that provided immersive touch therapy. She is the author of Somebody Hold Me, the single person's guide to nurturing human touch and spoke about using human touch to solve loneliness at South by Southwest. During the pandemic, she returned to school at the University of South Florida, where she received her master's in public health in 2023. She also studied public health, social work, no, social, sorry, social marketing and became certified as a health and wellness coach. When she applied for her graduate school, she said in her statement on, of purpose that she wanted to rebrand human touch and did a research project around the, con the that concept for one of her classes. Her professional aspiration is to start a conversation about how our current ideas around human touch are leaving many people lonely and isolated and how we could shift our thinking to make it more accessible and inclusive. So with that said, I now present to you Epiphany Jordan. Epiphany, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Cleone. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. Wonderful, wonderful. So I'm really intrigued about your um your your thesis, um, your your business, what you do, how you got started. Tell me a bit more about this personal touch brand that you have. I'm interested. Oh, rebranding human touch. It's well, um, so a brand is um it, it's a marketing term, but it's really about how how somebody views their own business, you know, their own brand, but it's also about how consumers uh view it as well. And uh when my teacher so my teacher came to me and she's like, okay, you said you want to rebrand human touch. So let's do that. So she had me look at a bunch of different branding frameworks. And what I decided on working on was around um, storytelling and brand archetypes. And so I did a bunch of qualitative research. Um, I interviewed eight um, single heterosexual middle-aged women about um, their own experiences and perceptions of touch, both um, personally and how we as a culture view it. And what I did was I 
created three different stories that um, gave gave different ideas about how people could get their touch needs met to kind of see what resonated with them and what they liked. And from there, I was able to kind of distill it down into um, there's three current archetypal ways of how we view touch. And then I created four, I looked at four different brands of brand archetypes of how we might be able to shift our thinking to think about it so that more people could get it. Cool. So what you do right now as a profession, I guess you are a touch therapist. I'm not at the moment. Um, I stopped doing it during the pandemic because, you know, uh, we were very up close and personal with people. Mm -hmm. um, the way that the business worked, it was a, a lot of people would say that we were professional cuddlers, but it was a little bit different than that because it was always done with two people. So you would come in and we would bless you and wash your feet and ask you to meditate and then um, change into kind of ritual garments. And we would talk about boundaries and what you did or didn't want. And then we would ask the person to lay on the bed and um, the two of us would do very light platonic touch on them. Um, you know, a lot of people were like, wow, I've never had anybody touch me like this. And the idea is to feel really safe because it's not going anywhere sexual. So you can just relax into this idea of being cared for through touch. And after we did the light touch on them, we would have the client lay on their side and we would hold them in between us. And it kind of mimicked the feeling of being held by your mother as an infant, because, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of whether you had that or not as a child, um, that's how our culture thinks about you or that's how your body knows that it's safe and that you're cared for and that you're loved and you know nobody's going to hurt you and um you know I think that our nervous systems are wired for that so when we got done people were kind of a puddle on the bed um a lot of times people would fall asleep um and then we would have we would leave them to rest for a few minutes so that their body could kind of um integrate that you know like in yoga when you do shavasana at the end where it's like you let all the relaxation and stretching kind of um, sink into your body so that your muscle memory gets that um, and then we would have them change back into their regular clothes and sit on the couch with us for a few minutes and have um, tea and snacks and then we would send them on their way cool that's yeah. interesting very interesting yeah it's, it's nice. And, you know, the thing about it is um, a lot of our culture really revolves around the idea, you know, one of the, the brand archetypes is touch as lover, you know, that you're going to have a partner that's going to meet all of your touch needs. And so doing it in a way where you have two practitioners and one client changes that dynamic. So it doesn't really feel like it's going to be a sexual experience, but more like you're a king or a queen and you're being waited on hand and foot by these two um, women who are taking care of you. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a really nice, really relaxing way to just kind of allow yourself to be, be safe and know what it feels like to be held by other humans in a way that, you know, isn't leading to something else. Um, that was something that 
I heard a lot about from the women that I interviewed of, you know, oh, sometimes I just wanted a hug, but, you know, my my ex-husband or my ex-boyfriend would only go in to hug me if they were trying to initiate sex. Right. Um, so, you know, this, this, uh, this idea of touch as lover um, hurts people in a couple different ways. You know, it hurts single people because if you're single, you don't have any access to that. I mean, maybe your friends give you a hug, hello or goodbye when you see them. But it, it's also, you know, in couples that are romantically involved, you know, if they think that the only reason that you should touch each other is when you're going to have sex, then we don't have touch for comfort or relaxation or respite or, um, you know, like getting our nervous systems to calm back down. And, you know, again, this is how um, humans take care of their young and it's also the way that, you know, we started our species or, you know, even up to about a hundred years ago, right? You know, it's like you, you live in Canada, um, you know, if you had lived there before the advent of electricity, your entire family would have been sleeping in one bed together to keep from freezing to death in the winter. Okay. You know, it's we've always depended on touch for um, safety and warmth. And, you know, now we don't have to have that. And so it's become very scarce. Okay, makes sense. So um, you mentioned that this is something that you were doing before the pandemic. So Correct. what are you doing now? What am I doing now? I just graduated from graduate school last month. Yeah, in August. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Um, I I didn't know anything about public health. I'd kind of had a public health mindset before I started. Um, so what I'm planning to do right now, I'm setting up a consulting business for social marketing. Social marketing is actually something that's that's big in Canada. It's People hear it and they think social media, and it's not really that. It's a public health practice that utilizes uh, commercial marketing techniques to create behavioral interventions. Um, so like the project I'm working on at the moment is around getting um, people living with HIV to sign up for a study to help them quit smoking. Mm. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's like I, I segmented the market to try and figure out what um, what group of people would be most likely to sign up. And then I've been interviewing them, you know, a lot of times with public health initiatives, you know, you have a bunch of people sitting in a room going, oh, I think we should tell them this and this and this. And then when they, you know, when nobody does what they want them to, they're like, well, why not? And it's like, well, you didn't talk to the people that you were trying to help and find out what's important to them. You know, what, what are their barriers? You know, it's like, you know, everybody knows that they shouldn't smoke, that they should quit smoking, but it's complicated, right? You know, it's like right. people smoke for a lot of different reasons and, um, you know, if quitting was easy, then everybody would quit. Um, so I'm going to be doing more of that and then um, working on getting this idea about rebranding human touch out into the world and, uh, you know, trying to help people figure out ways to get more touch in their lives because there's definitely a lot of touch starved people out there. Yeah, that's really cool. Like, I really like that, you know, where you're able to give that human touch to people because where it doesn't lead to sex, you know, right. 
so many people are just longing just for that physical touch because like I know it's very therapeutic so yeah yeah it's very cool very cool I really like that I really like that all right so with that said we're gonna move into the mental health piece of this interview okay that sounds great all right so my question is what is your mental health diagnosis and when were you diagnosed Hmm. I think I was probably diagnosed with depression when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled with it for most of my life. Um, I, I don't, I, I think I managed to heal it in a pretty unusual way, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty rough for quite a while. Okay. All right. And my next question is, So tell us about your mental health story of resilience. What did you have to go through? How did you overcome? And and just walk us through that chronological um, period of how you were able to be resilient despite your your illness of depression. So I I had a therapist tell me, uh, this was probably about 20 years ago, that they thought that maybe I had borderline personality disorder as well. And I never had an official um, diagnosis of that, but my behavior was certainly that way. And um, like, I I spent a lot of time being depressed, but like my depression would really kind of surface um, around breakups, you know, if I was dating somebody and then the relationship ended and, um, you know, I would classic borderline stuff, right. You know, like calling the person 50 times a day or something and just really unable to let go. So about, it was actually almost exactly 20 years ago. Um, I started kind of trying to, to feel into this. I was like, you know, what's, what's going on here? Why, is this, you know, relationship thing so hard for me? Why am I always attracted to emotionally unavailable men? You know, cause I was like, my parents were, are still married and, you know, I've, I've had a pretty middle-class life lifestyle, you know, neither of them were addicts or, you know, I wasn't abused at a child as a child. There was probably some, I mean, there was definitely some yelling and some emotional abuse, but, you know, like, I was like, where, where did this come from? And I ended up, it was probably almost, it was in 2003, so almost exactly 20 years ago, um, a friend had given me some salvia, which is a, um, it's a, um, an herb that you can smoke that kind of gives you visions. So I'm having, I'm, I'm, I smoke it. I'm, you know, I'm with a friend, you know, who's kind of babysitting me and I'm going through and I'm having this vision and in the vision, I'm a young Native American girl and with my mother and my father, and I totally loved my father. And then the scene switches and I'm a little bit older and my father is on his horse and he's going off into battle. And um, then I see, you know, it's like he doesn't, the scene switches again, I'm a little bit older. My father hasn't come back. My mother's very devastated about it. And, um, she, you know, loves me, but I remind her of her, her, her partner who's now dead. And then he ends up the scene switches. I'm a little bit older again, and he ends up coming back and, um, he's like 
super traumatized, you know, like the shell shocked, I think they call it, you know, where he's just been traumatized by war. And so I'm, you know, Switch is a little bit older and he's just sitting by the fire and I'm trying to heal him. I'm like trying to take all of his pain and his sorrow out and it didn't work. And then I get, I'm older again and I'm very isolated. I, I can't like be around my tribe and stuff. Um, so I end up, I switches again and I end up going off and I'm living by myself in the woods and, you know, I'm just talking to the animals and then I decide that I'm going to go back and confront him. So the next scene, I'm like going back and confronting him again. So, and that's kind of when I come back out of my vision. So I'm telling my mother this story and, and she's like, well, so what is it, you know, what's this thing about, um, you know, dad going off to war and my father was raised in South Africa. So I was like, you know, maybe it was his battle with apartheid. And she remembered, she had like completely forgotten about this, but um, about five months after I was born, my father ended up um, going to, he was a, an, an English major who's getting his PhD in English and he had the opportunity to go to England for the 500th anniversary of Shakespeare's birth. So I'm pre-verbal. So all I know is that this person that I totally loved is now gone. And when she said that, you know, she had forgotten about that this had happened. I was like, oh my God, mom, that's it. That's it. That's it. So I, I recognized this as like the place where, you know, I had gotten my heart broken for the first time. And it was crazy because I had met somebody who was that I had like fought, fallen for really hard. And he literally left the country without telling me. Like it was, I mean, I'm like, wow, okay. So I'm really replicating this pattern. So I ended up, um, you know, I was like, okay. It, it was like, I, I started feeling this, this pain that I had kind of suppressed and it was like rising to the surface, rising to the surface, rising to the surface. And so I asked a friend of mine who was um, a priestess to do a shamanic soul retrieval, which is where the priestess kind of stays connected to you and then they go into the underworld to you know get whatever part of your soul is back so she had you know like when my father had left and in, in her vision he had taken a piece of my heart so she comes back and like puts this piece of my heart back in me so I'm like oh okay well this is a you know now I'm healed so it's like no okay all of a sudden there's like more of my heart to be hurting right and so a couple days later I had, I was getting a massage from somebody that I knew who was a really incredible massage therapist. And he literally just kind of held me while I was able to let go of that pain. And it was so transformational. I mean, I had people, friends coming up to me and they're like, what's going on with you? You seem different. You know, you're very, mm -hmm. you know, and I was just, I felt like I was able to be more whole and be in the present moment. And um, a few months after that, I actually ended up dating a man that I married. Um, and so I've, yeah, I mean, it, it really shifted things around for me. And I've definitely had sad, you know, I've, I've been through some painful experiences and I've had sadness and grief and loss, but um, I don't think I've ever been 100% fully depressed since since I did that work and that's been about 20 years so it's been nice that's good that's good that's good so 
what did you have to do to overcome or bounce back from your low points? What's all the resources? I, I know you did talk about the um, meeting with the, um, the, the, the priestess. Yeah. A lot. Was there anything else that helped you um, to? Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I've done a lot of over the past 10 years is um, microdosing. I've, I've done it on and off microdosing LSD or psilocybin. Um, it's when you take a very tiny sub-perceptual amount. So you're not taking it to get high. Um, so you take a, like a, uh, like you don't even feel altered, but you do it like once every three days for a few months. And um, it's really kind of helped my brain to just kind of tweak around a little bit to be more even keel. You know, it's like, I don't, there's a lot of things I don't take personally so much anymore. I, I'm generally just kind of in a good mood and, and happy most of the time I've, um, I, maybe it helped me when I was feeling depressed, but I was, I didn't really start doing it until after I had been through my heavy depression. But I will say that um, I've known a lot of people who've tried it, who um, have been dealing with some pretty heavy duty depression, who've said that it just makes the hugest difference for them. Okay, cool. My next question is, so what are three things you wish you had available when you were at your lowest point? Yeah, thank you. Um, that's a great question. I would say that the first thing that I wish that I had had available was definitely more touch. I mean, I can remember just, you know, being, being devastated by a breakup and, you know, wishing that somebody would just kind of hold me while I cried. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you, you know, when you're going through a breakup and that person is your support and your companion and, you know, all of a sudden you can't go, go to them again. Um, more community, mm -hmm. um, I would say like for me, like I grew, it, it, I have a very strange family and family story and I grew up in um, a very, like very uh, nuclear family, you know, it was me and my brother and my parents, um, my brother or my father had hundreds of relatives in South Africa that I didn't know. So I didn't know any of my aunts and uncles. And then my mother was a sing I was an only child. So she had aunt some aunts and uncles who lived in Los Angeles, but like my grandparents left the country when I was about seven years old. So I didn't have extended family, you know, I didn't have a weird aunt, you know, like I'm a weird aunt right now for my niece. Um, and, you know, it was like, I wish that I had had somebody like that around me, you know, who could give me advice and, you know, be like, Hey, you know, this is, you know, you're, you're going to make it through and, you know, you got to take a longer view or whatever. Um, and then I really wish that I had had more of a practice or, you know, some, somebody to kind of get me out and move my body a little bit more, because I think that trauma really tends to settle in when you don't move around a lot. Um, it it right. makes it, I think it makes it a lot easier to process things. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't solve it or heal it or resolve it a hundred percent, but, you know, just to, 
I mean, even to put you more in your body so that you can feel more to get rid of it. Okay, cool. And so what words of hope can you give to our listeners? What would you tell someone that's been where you've been? I would say that if possible, the best thing to do is to try and take a long view, which I know is a really hard thing when you're depressed because it's like all your problems are right here. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but um, you know, I've definitely been through periods of depression or stress, you know, going through bad experiences and it's like, um, you know, or having a disagreement with somebody that's hurtful that you take personally, um, you know, to be able to go, you know, is this going to matter a week from now? Is this going to matter a month from now? Is this going to matter a year from now? Is this going to matter five years from now? So I, I think it's somewhat stoic, um, you know, or trying something that also has been really helpful for me a lot is uh, trying to um, open kind of a visualization meditation um, connection with like an, an older self, you know, like somebody who's, you know, 10 or 20 years, 30 years older than me, who's, you know, older and wiser, who can, you know, kind of give me advice from the future, I think can be really helpful, you know, because some, you know, sometimes you get really surprising answers, you know, and, um, and, and also to, to try and instead of like trying to depress or suppress things to, to try and be open to learning whatever it is that it has to teach you. Um, you know, I, I believe that sometimes, you know, if, if we're lucky that our, you know, our wounds can become our medicine and also our gift that we have to offer the world. Yes. I like that our wounds can be our medicine and gift that we have to offer the world. I like that. I yeah, like that. definitely, definitely. So now we're going to take a little switch in the interview. Okay. Um, this part is about music therapy. As you can see behind me, there is a book that says the music of my life. And it's about my journey with bipolar and music therapy. My question to you is what type of music do you like? Oh, I like, I like a lot of different types of music, but I mean, if you, if you had to like pigeonhole me into one, it would probably be rock and roll just from when I grew up and, you know, what I was listening to. Strangely, I was like just the perfect age for when punk rock was starting. I was about 13 or 14, but I missed the boat on that for some reason, but <laughs> yeah, give me, give me some good guitars. And... Cool. Cool. Okay. So if you were to think of a song that best describes your journey, what would it be and why? Hmm. Well, I think the answer that I gave you, I, I did, I did a cheat and went for a whole album <laughs> instead of just a single song. <laughs> um, that album was uh, Healing by Todd Rundgren because it's, it's kind of a concept album that goes through different phases of healing and feeling bad. Um, Boy, if I had to, if I had to um, pick a single song, probably the Jeff Buckley version of Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. I just mm -hmm. 
so beautiful and vulnerable and um I just his voice and and the lyrics and it's it's a really incredible incredible piece of music um it's actually I I went through a a trauma around sound and that was the album the the Jeff Buckley album Grace that was like kind of the first piece of music that I was able to listen to again because for a long time I couldn't you know I was like I, I didn't want any sort of sound because it had been so painful for me so right. okay yeah so really cool different selections that's really cool and those selections were they would we consider them rock and roll yeah yeah both of them for sure okay cool cool so my last question for you is how can we stay in touch with you what are your social media handles okay um hang on I have to think about it for a second um on uh on Instagram my uh thing is somebody underscore hold underscore me and um I haven't been posting very much but um, I post different thoughts that I have uh, around the concept of human touch. I mean, it's such a such a big topic, and there's so many different um, factors to it that um, you know people don't often think about. On Facebook, there I have a um, web page for Karuna Sessions, and I have another one for the book for somebody hold me and. Um, I haven't kept up with those too much either because I, I plead grad school. <laughs> That's my excuse for everything. Yeah, uh, I often post articles that I find that talk about touch or um, uh, TED talks that I find or you know different different research people's first person experiences around touch hunger, and then my website where I've kind of um, consolidated my work both with the book and the hands-on touch services nurturinghumantouch.com cool. and, and people wow. if they're interested in the book they can find it it's on Amazon and Audible and um, what's the big bookstore that y'all have up in Canada? Indigo mm. or Barnes and Noble no, it's chapters. Huh? Chapters. Yes, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm on their. I'm on their website as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, I can. I can be found most places with that. So. Cool, cool. I love it. Love it. Well, Epiphany, it's been a great having you and you sharing your story, and I really thought that um, learning about touch therapy was definitely very interesting. Um, yeah it's um, like I know um with the love languages the five love languages you know physical touch is a very important one and and sometimes we we um we don't understand how important it is to get that that energy you know into our lives that physical touch so yeah 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 it's 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 human connection. I mean, it is at its most basic level, and yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't even have to be like laying down in bed and cuddling with somebody. It can be as simple as 
hey, I had a bad day. Would you mind holding my hand while I'm talking about this? You know, it's like a little touch really goes the wrong, a long way. And it's, it's so powerful for people. I mean, if it's, if it's touch that you want and that you're happy to receive, you know, the thing that people say so much is, oh my God, that feels so good. You know, it's like, they're just like, wow, I, you know, I had no idea because it's like, we're so separate from it. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So we are just going to end this show, but then to all you resilient minds out there until next time, please subscribe to us on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Also join the community of resilient minds and sign up for our monthly newsletter at cleonycrawford.com. Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Music of My Life, on all Amazon marketplaces to get to know me better. And if you can think of one person that will receive value from today's show or connect with Epiphany's testimonial, please, please share it with them. And feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode of the podcast and tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself at OnlyCleone or ResilientMind365 and today's get at somebody underscore hold underscore me and remember mental health is not a death sentence despite your illness you can strive thrive and live a life of abundance until next time i'm cleone crawford and i'm signing off